Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's Around the House. When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know, but we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to the Around the House show. This is where we help you get the most out of your home through information and education. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a special episode here ahead, and this is one I've been looking forward to. John Coppolis is one of the leading real estate professionals out there. He is an appraiser and has one of the best Facebook groups out there in his Ask the Appraiser. Welcome to Around the House, my friend. Oh, man, I love it. You don't mind, I'm going to try to call you Easy e because uh, <laughs> you're so easy to talk to. So Easy e thank you for having me, man. I'm happy to be here. Thanks, brother. It has been a hot subject out there over the last, geez, over a decade about real estate appraisals and people thinking that there's so many misconceptions, right? What's my house worth? And why isn't it worth this? Or why does this add value? There's This is a big old rabbit hole we're about ready to jump into. No doubt about it. And I'm excited to be here. And I think we'll be giving people a big value add as to what they can do to their house and things that they can do to make their home more valuable to them. So I got to first start out, what got you going in the appraisal business? Oh man, it's a long story. I've been in the business for about 37 or 38 years. I just fell into it. I was going to college and trying to make some money while I was off on breaks and things like that. And I was working for a temporary agency. I was all over the place. They had me at the airport. They had me at the hardware store. I almost turned into you. This could I could have been you if I <laughs> stayed at that hardware store. But then I they put me in a uh, at a bank in the appraisal division, and I hung out with a guy that was a couple of years older than me. I saw the flexibility in the job. I knew that I was going to be a hands-on father, and I wanted to. I, I didn't want to work corporate. I wanted to work for myself and be flexible with the hours. So I said, you know what? This is a perfect fit for me. They offered me a job right out of college, and this is the only thing I've ever known. So if I ever lose my ability to do this, I don't know what the heck I'm going to do. <laughs> I love it, man. You just are living and breathing it, and there's nothing better than that. No doubt about it. So I worked for a bank for 10 years. I learned all about the ins and outs of the appraisal process and how not only the appraiser does it, but how the lenders do it, the underwriters look at things, how the loan officers work. And then about 10 years in, I went on my own and I've been doing it for what, 25 years on my own. I've got guys all over lower Hudson Valley. So I've got a number of guys working for me. I also have a satellite office in Florida. So I guess I should say I'm in New York State, uh, yeah. in case you didn't recognize that from the accent. So I've been doing it here for that long. And I also have a satellite office in Florida. So I've got some appraisers down there working also. Man, that is great. I wanted to bring up, we'll, we're going to do a bunch of different dives into a bunch of different facets of this subject. But one of the things that I see in my area, which is one of the big holes in the home buying process, and I just wanted to get your take on it because I'm sure you've seen it. 
And I've had many clients in my remodeling past run into this. So they go buy a 1920s home that's been remodeled a number of times and that's 2,400 square feet. They go buy it. They get through the whole process. It's closed. A year later, they go, I'm going to do a master bathroom remodel on the upstairs. And the contractor pulls the building permits. They show up and the building department goes, hey, this upper floor and your basement were never permitted. You actually have a thousand square foot house. And now we have to bring this upstairs room into 2024 code. And it seems like these people just fall through the cracks. No doubt about it. That uh, does happen, man. And that's tough on them because it's, we as appraisers, we really aren't going to be able to look at that property the way they think we should or they do, right? Because yeah. there's no permits for it. The, maybe the work wasn't done right. Electrical's not up to code. Plumbing's not up to code. These type of things really do come into play. And I, I guess the best thing that a buyer or a home buyer needs to make sure that is their agent does, the due, does their due diligence and the home buyer does the due diligence on making sure everything is legal in the house that's there. Yeah. And I, what I tell people, at least in, in my audience, they're, they're rolling their eyes because they've heard me wave this flag a bunch right now and that's okay. But I tell them first thing they should do if they're putting an offer on the house, look at what the, the listing says, how many square feet it has, and then call your local building department and verify that's what it is. Don't call the tax assessor because if you've got a thousand square foot house, and you tell the tax assessor that you've got a 4,000 square foot house, they'll happily tax you for 4,000 square feet, even though you don't own it. But I always want to see what the building department says, because that's going to give you at least what the permit office says. And then you'll have an idea of how many non-permitted additions were done over the years. Listen, my man, you are waving the right flag. If you're waving that flag to your listeners, you're waving the right flag because that's exactly what they should be doing. Thanks, man. Thanks. It's just one of those rabbit holes. And I've seen people go out and, and I've ran into this personally working with design clients over the years. I've had people, wow, it's 27. I had a client that had to pay an extra $120,000 to do their bathroom remodel because it was already gutted. They already had the building permit and the inspector walks up the stairs and goes, we show this as storage. And the demo had already wow. happened. So they didn't have a choice but to do that, to put it back together. So there's some ugly things that happen out there that, of course, this is an appraiser's job, but it's part of the whole real estate transaction, right? Exactly, exactly. You're hitting on something very key. It's not the appraiser's job to be the permit police, right? So you're right about that. So that would that doesn't fall under our kind of jurisdiction and too much of what we're concerned about. But we're talking about scenarios for home buyers here. And that scenario you just painted, can you imagine somebody putting aside $50,000 to fix their bathroom and then they realize, oh boy, need a, we need to come up with another 120 to fix everything that's been done in this house. Yeah. And the homeowner and the bank or what, whoever gave the loan on that has to turn around and say, wow, we just gave you a loan for 2,400 square feet, but sorry, about a thousand. <laughs> this comes up in different scenarios for us. Many times it's with the basements in, in houses, Eric, where oh, yeah. people think their house is 2,400 square feet, 1,200 of it is in the basement. And when we're finished appraising it at 1,200 square feet, they're like, holy smokes, I thought my house had three bedrooms, three bedrooms and three baths. You're telling me it's got only got two bedrooms and two baths now. So you got this, it. Comes up, this comes into play. It's a gray area. The agents are coming, putting their hands around it, realizing how to talk to borrowers. But we got to explain it to the real estate professionals out there, you know, how we do our job and how the lenders want us to do our job, right? Fannie Mae is 
when we're doing a bank loan, we're working for the bank and we're working, we're doing it the way Fannie Mae wants it done. Correct. Correct. So what are some of the hottest subjects that you see out there right now in the appraisal side of things? What is the biggest bang for your buck these days that, hey, John, I want to do, I want to do something to my house. I've got a couple of hundred thousand dollars. Where am I going to get the biggest bang for my buck? I actually got that call the other day. We've got a 1,400 square foot two bedroom ranch. We've got four to $500,000 to fix it up. What, do we, what should we do to get the biggest bang for our buck? Spent a half an hour on the call with them talking about different things that they have to consider. Do you have any children? Are you going to be having children in the next three or four years? I suggested they go up, put up a second floor. I suggested yeah. they added garage space. So I suggested all these different things and the conversation just keeps on going. And she says, so we've got two bedrooms now. Obviously, we've got two bedrooms now. Shouldn't we keep the two bedrooms down there and put maybe two bedrooms upstairs? And I said, are you going to have any kids? She said, yeah, we're going to have kids. I said, okay, so you're going to be wanting, you want to be sleeping downstairs in your primary bedroom with your two children, your two small age children upstairs? No, we don't want to do that. All right, well, you need to put a second floor up. We're going to, we're going to put a second floor on your house. You're going to go three or four bedrooms. You're going to have a Jack and Jill. You're going to make sure your bathroom is, your primary bath is large and extravagant and nice and all, all the different things, steam showers towel racks, all the good things that go on. And this is something I had that conversation last week and it was a lot of fun for me. I really enjoyed it. We yeah. don't do it a whole hell of a lot because people don't come to us beforehand. They come to it to us afterwards a lot of the time. We got to put values on it. But these folks were smart enough to realize, hey, let me talk to an appraiser who's seen thousands of homes and knows what the market is looking for, what the typical buyer and home buyer is looking for. So they called. We had a nice. great call. And I'd love to get your feedback on where in the bathroom, what's important in a bathroom. Something that comes up on my Facebook group called Ask the Appraiser, is a bathtub important? I want to put a steam shower. I want to take away my bathtub in my primary and put a steam shower. Do I need a tub? And you know what my answer is, and I'd like to hear what your answer is, but my answer is, hey, listen, if you have a tub in one of the other bathrooms, that should be good enough. Because typically, either you're going to have and I'm not trying to sound sexist at all, but you're either going to have a wife who loves baths or you're going yep. to have kids who need baths. If, you're, if your wife or your partner is not a bath lover, why do you need it in the bathroom? Yeah, yeah, very true. And here's one thing that's interesting. and I'm going to throw another facet onto that which is bathtubs are now coming back into style for 2024. As we've spent 15 years taking them out, <laughs> what happened? The pendulum swings the other way, and now we're going to spend another 15 putting them back in. But I totally agree with you. I think if you've got one bathtub in the house, and as a minimum, and you're going to put in some killer shower in a bathtub's place with a steam shower or something that's really nice, yep. you're still going to get that value. It's going to be there because people are going to walk in and go, holy smokes, that's gorgeous. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna lose that person who loves the bath, but you're gonna you're gonna gain so many other buyers that love the shower. Yeah, and so it's so funny how styles go. And my house is a perfect example. I had one bath in here, and I because it was next to the master bathroom, basically it was a master bathroom, and I took it out. I put a steam shower in because my wife and I wanted to. When I do my addition on this house here in the next few years, I'm gonna add a uh, another little room onto that bathroom that'll be its own bathtub room. 
that will work great and it'll pop right off of that and you won't know any different and I'll have both. But that was the sacrifice to get the steam shower in so we could really have someplace enjoyable instead of having kind of what would have been a very small 1970s bathtub. Now we've got a better solution. That's what I have. That's what I'm sitting in now. My And I'm thinking about, I've made calls to remodelers. I want them to come in, take my bathtub out, give me a little extra room because it's a narrow bathtub and it's a narrow shower in there. Give me a little extra room. And we set up a nice steam shower with a, with a nice big seat for me and my wife to hang out and enjoy the steam, all that good stuff. The, sh- the shower heads from the ceiling as opposed to the wall and all that, a couple of different shower heads. It's great. I'm excited. I'm excited about it. Oh, yeah. I put in one of the thermosol systems. So I've got the touch screen so I can watch Netflix while I'm taking a steam shower or anything else in there, catch up on the news or whatever. I heard you talking about it on one of your episodes, and I'm, I was so glad I heard it. Waterproof walls, it's not enough. You have to have steam proof. Amen. When they come to start talking to me about the steam, that's one of the questions I'm going to be asking. And it's all because of you. Thanks, man. Yeah. You think about it. Waterproof is one thing of trying to keep water through, but trying to keep vapor is a whole different ballgame. So if they talk to me about not offering that or it's an add on, I know that's a crew that I don't want to be working with. If that's not exactly if that's not what they're going to do in their basic install. Yeah, it's funny. And it seems to me in the remodeling world where I come from, that is one of the that is the largest failure point in a kitchen and bathroom. Is that shower leaking and specifically a tile shower that maybe somebody came in there, maybe it was a homeowner special, maybe it was a chuck and a truck handyman special, whatever they did, they didn't do that waterproofing perfectly. If they don't understand that, you just have to realize that you're probably going to have to tear that thing out and do it all over again. And that's, that's scary when you're paying somebody five to 10,000 bucks for a simple shower install. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Yeah, I want to. Hey guys, it's Eric G from Around the House Show. We'd really appreciate your help with some awesome five-star reviews on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you tune into your podcast. Big thanks, everyone, and a shout-out to our dedicated listeners of Around the House. If you don't mind, I'm going to take this in a little bit of a different direction. I'm in social media, so I belong to a couple of mastermind groups and all that, try to get my presence and my brand out there more. And one of the influencers said to me, you know what, John, I want you to lead with this question for your, it's called a lead magnet, where you throw something out there to your public, to your listeners or your members, and it draws them in. So this was it. Agents, I've got $10,000 to do some work in my home. How am I going to turn that $10,000 into $50,000? So that was what he told me to do a video on. And nice. I, I thought about it and I, I haven't figured out a way, but you're the perfect guy to talk to about that. If you don't mind, I'll take your oh, of course. special expertise. If a, what should a homeowner do if they've got 10 or 15 grand, but they want to try to get $50,000 back on their investment? Very difficult to do as far as I'm concerned. I wanted to see yeah. what your answer was, because I don't think I would be able to come up with an answer. And I wanted to throw it into your lap. Mine's going to go in two places. I'm going to say curb appeal and energy efficiency, like insulation. Really? So here's two things that I've noticed that people are getting the most back on their remodels, from my perspective, at least, is curb appeal. If you've got that 1990s home with with the beat up steel door that 
that it's got its few dents from the ice and the things getting carried in and people moving appliances in and out or whatever, just the normal road wear that you get on a front door that's steel. If you put in a nice brand new front door, maybe change out a few lights on the front, maybe some landscape lighting, get things a little more manicured. You're probably not going to do a garage door for that, but maybe some new paint and some freshen it up out there and make it look like you really care about the front. That seems to get you some great value just in the curb appeal thing. And then insulation is an interesting one because there's a lot of rebates out there from your energy providers, right? So maybe you're going to spend a few thousand bucks on insulation, but you might get 50% of that back, 75% of that back in a rebate. So you'll get that money back. And then if you're worried about it, you're going to get a lower energy bill. So it's going to give you back on that in the future. <laughs> you're very quick. You're very good on your feet. That's fantastic. I definitely agree about the curb appeal, but I never thought about the energy efficiency. I know you're, you're a guru on that also. So I, I appreciate that because you're right. They'll, not only will they get the rebate back, but then they'll be saving on their electric, right? So they'll be seeing the savings right there. For years well, they're, they're, years they could be in there for six months. They'll, they'll notice a difference. If they're in there a couple of years still left, it'll pay back even more. And then you're getting that rebate money back. And who doesn't like to do any remodels with other people's money? No doubt about it. No doubt about it. So, so the kitchen, that's my take. It's a damn, damn good take. The kitchen, What obviously that's where, where we tell people to put their money in. The, most of the yeah. time you'll hear you'll get 60 or 70% back on your investment. That's not always the case, but that's what the common thought is out there. I was listening to one of your podcasts about the kitchen, and you're saying I heard you say that the, the vinyl plank or the the plank floors are out now. Is that correct in the kitchen? Yeah, the style wise, those are on their way out because they sold a lot of those as having a, a twenty year lifespan, and so many of them at age four or five years are getting tossed in the dumpster, and something else is going in. And I bought a really nice one for my house and I've already in three years replaced the under warranty, the stair bullnose tread off of that. I've replaced those stair treads twice now. And wow. finally, about a month and a half ago, they went in the dumpster and I put real hardwood in because it's just not holding up as to what they said it would. And they're coming apart, even if they were installed correctly. They're scratching up. You're starting to see traffic patterns in them. It's still vinyl and it's floating. So there's a lot of different issues that you can run up with it. But I think that is on its way out. You're seeing the large format tiles and stuff come in. Hardwood is still in. Right. But I think my at least take on kitchens to steer back into that yeah. is that I think if you do a cost effective kitchen refresh, that's going to be your best bang for the buck if you're trying to sell the place. But if you're going to be in there for 20 years, do what you want. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. The granite counters, you move into a place, it's got granite counters. Granite counters are nice, but you really don't like the coloring of it, this and that. Are there good options out there to paint the countertops? Not really. Granite is granite. You could do an epoxy over the top of it, but it's still going to scratch because it's still a piece of rock that you're throwing some paint on. And you're really, you might get a little bit out of it, but in the end, you're still going to bust it up and haul it off and put something else in there. When you talk about the refresh, you're talking about paint the walls, maybe paint the cabinets, put some new hardware on the cabinets, that type of thing. Yeah, maybe new appliances, maybe new tile backsplash, some new lighting, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Keep it pretty simple. If you can keep the cabinets, if the cabinets are painted, maybe give them a fresh coat of paint or have. Here's one little trick that I've done for somebody's five to 10 year old kitchen. I hire a furniture repair person to come out. 
Okay. The ones that come onto your dining room table that save it to put where you put the scratch or you burnt a hole in it from a hot pan or something that you set on the table. Right. Have them come out and spend a day and maybe they'll charge you a thousand bucks. Maybe they'll charge you 1200 bucks, whatever that is. Right. It's going to look like a million bucks. I've had furniture repair people go out to brand new kitchens where an installer drilled a handle in the wrong spot and it was going to take six weeks for the door. Right. They came in and filled it in and airbrushed it in. You couldn't tell that there was ever a drill hole through it. There you go. So they can fix a lot of sins in a kitchen, make things look pretty good pretty quickly. Gotcha. Nice. Very nice. And it's a good bang for the buck. No doubt about it. Good stuff. But yeah, kitchens are tough. The other thing that we just did a story here this last week that's going to be interesting is that places like Australia now, just as of what? July 1st of this year, 2024, they're banning quartz countertops in really? Australia. So wow. they've already passed the ban. That's coming. What's so, that all about, Eve? That's all about what we're seeing is that there's a lot of fabricators out there that are not following the best safety practices for that stuff. And so they're just dry grinding it. And it has the highest silica dust content of all the countertops out there, where granite's under their 15 to 40% silica in there. Uh The quartz countertops are 90 plus, depending Uh on how many binders are in there. And so what's happening is you're getting a bunch of fabricators that aren't cutting it with water. They're just dry cutting it. And in Australia, they were getting silicosis, which can be fatal. It's the new asbestos scare, shall we say, of people getting lung diseases out of that. Once it's installed as an issue, no. Is it an issue for a fabricator that's grabbing the grinder and deciding to make a cloud of dust? It's a huge issue for them. Instead of trying to go after the fabricators, they're just trying to to stop the product altogether, which could show back up here. Usually when something like that happens overseas, we'll see California and some other places try running with that flag and seeing if they can get up the mountain. Right. (laughs) No doubt about that. Yeah. Wow. So that's an interesting one. But am I putting what I put Quartz in my counter in my countertop in my kitchen. Absolutely, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't think twice yeah, about it. But you're talking about really, the fabricators that are in danger. Yeah, it's Just the workers. Like the pipe fitters were with the asbestos and all that kind of thing. Yep, I got you. Yep, same kind of thing. If you're not being careful, guess what? It, it can go badly. And then you'll see that too. You get sit that see that with guys cutting sidewalks. I don't know road project with with a dry cut and a big hot saw out there. They're cutting the sidewalk open to do some work. You'll see the cloud of dust. Same thing. Oh, good. Okay. Very good. But yeah, it's an interesting one. But really what it comes down to it, I think kitchens are a big thing. But again, you know this probably better than I. I think there's some context that has to go with it too. If you're in a neighborhood where you've got an average suburbia home that is five hundred thousand bucks, let's say, and I'm just gonna pick a mid-range number right there on a home and low range for some areas, and you've got a half million dollar house and that kitchen is decent. And if you go look at the comps around the neighborhood and everybody else is decent, I don't know, putting a brand new kitchen in it is going to get you the money out of it. You thought you might sell it quicker, but I'm not sure if you're going to get a big jump in value out of that money. You might be better spending it someplace else. Very true. The appeal is one thing. The value out of the appeal is another. So you hit it right on the head. If your market is not demanding a top of the line kitchen, you, you might not want to do it. What is the market demanding? What does the typical home buyer in that area want in their house? Do they want the basement finished? Do they want the gym in the basement? Do they want an office, an office space? That might be more important to the buyer in that neighborhood as opposed to having the brand new kitchen. Although there aren't a whole hell of a lot of people that would, will walk away from a, a nice, beautifully done kitchen. Yeah. And the question, though, is, will they pay another 
60 to or a hundred thousand dollars for it. They won't, they might not do that. Exactly. Exactly true. They did. The thing that I found, it is still going on in my market, in the New York market, it's, it's still pretty strong. I'm not going to tell you that it's appreciating at any kind of crazy levels, but it's certainly not certainly not hurting right now. The turnkey home is what our buyers are looking for. A lot, most buyers are not looking to go into a home and have to spend sixty, seventy thousand dollars to revamp it or more, obviously. But so that's what I'm seeing. Turnkey does go quicker, and it's more. It's the appeal is there for it. But do you are you going to get the bang for the buck? That's the question. Yeah, absolutely. One question for you. I know this is a hot topic and it can be regional as well, depending on what's going on. But what is your opinion on converted garages? Do you does the neighborhood or the typical buyer in that area want the garage? Okay, so good question. I'm looking to buy real estate in Florida. As I told you, I've got the satellite office there. I want to put my boots down there also. And in Florida, there are no basements. So garage space is key for more than your cars for storage. You're around Florida, you don't see anybody have their car in their garage. It's all storage because that's like their basement. If you're going to convert a garage in Florida, it, it all depends on what the market wants from the area and needs. I love I love a garage conversion or a garage that's turned into a she shed or a man cave. But what are you losing with that conversion? If you're going to convert the attached garage into a man cave or a gym, I hope you've got some room on the property to, to throw up a two or three car garage, right? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, there's some great garage conversions out there. And there's some that you can go, you pull up out front, you haven't even gotten out of the car or truck yet, and you go, well, that was a garage conversion. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. What's your read on the uh, garage conversion? I think it's regional. Here in the Pacific Northwest where I live, I it depends. If it's that single car garage that's barely usable in those 50s, 60s homes on smaller lots that you see, I think that's less important than if somebody takes that two-car garage and makes it into a a big, weird, sunken living room or something that's off the kitchen that feels like a garage, right, but they right. still left the fire door in and it just doesn't feel cohesive to the plan. In those situations, I'm almost like, okay, that's like that she shed thing where you've got it with the man cave where maybe you still have the concrete floor, but you got some couches and the big screen out there. And if you need to store stuff out there, it's not that big a deal. But I just look at it and say, yeah. And, and again, that's the neighborhood and the style that you're looking for. But here, a lot of people like their garages. And again, it's a storage thing. You got to put it someplace. No doubt about it. And definitely. So where, where we, how we look at those conversions is that it's got to have the same feel and flow as the home has. So like you yeah. said, if you feel as if you're walking into a converted garage, that's not a good thing. But if you feel like, hey, I, I didn't even realize this was the old garage. The ceilings are high. The, everything is beautiful about it, just like the rest of the house. I, I, think, it's a, I think it's a great use of space. But yeah. that, that half-assed conversion? No, it's, exactly. it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you feel about uh, with carpets and stuff these days in homes? It seems like for the last seven to 10 years, carpets in many markets have been just going away that the hard surfaces have been hot. There's no doubt about it. I think it's a uh, matter of taste, right? But mm -hmm. if you're asking me, what am I seeing? I'm definitely seeing that. I'm seeing more hardwood. I'm seeing these floors that you were talking about. The newer plank 
the newer items that are out there in Plank are really interesting. I don't know if you have it out on the West Coast, but we have a place called Floor Decor here. In, oh, yeah. In they, just came, they just came out here in the Northwest. So, yeah, tons yeah. of stuff. Great store to go check things out, in my opinion. And it's the choices are amazing that's out there. The choices, the colors and paints. It's fun yeah. to DIY uh, your house, although I'm a guy who has two left hands. So I'm not a <laughs> guy in your position like the, the way you can, but I can pay somebody to do what, I lo- what I'd like to do. And, and there's a lot to be done. Tell you what, there's many times I'm halfway through the project going, I wish I would have paid somebody to do this. So I get it, man. Whether or not you can do it or not, if you can afford to have somebody do it, hats off. I have no problem with that whatsoever. The biggest thing that I'm seeing out there, though, right now, large format tiles. So style wise, I'm seeing these as big as four foot by eight foot, but four foot by three foot tiles now. Uh, for living spaces. And those have been a really big new upcoming trend right now that's starting to go across the country. And yeah, that floor and decor, they've got them in there on the shelf right now. And it's pretty cool. I got to tell you, Eric, I don't think I'm familiar with four by eight. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They're pieces of porcelain that are four foot by eight foot, like a piece of plywood that you can stick down. And it, the problem is it's not a DIY friendly project. You got to have three or four tile installers out there. So a lot of people just on that one, just on this time of labor are going to a smaller piece where maybe two people could do it that are maybe a four by four or four by three and putting those in. But the cool thing is you get this really cool grain pattern that you get to see all of it. Now you need to have the right space for that because you're not going to want to put that in a little tiny hall bathroom because it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's just going to look like a piece of vinyl or something down there, but they're coming out really nice with the colors and the textures and as when you walk in, the, the high definition printing they're doing on tile and some of the other stuff, you have to reach down and touch it to see if it's wood or something else. No doubt about it. Is it affordable or not quite yet? Yeah, it's, it's, the materials are affordable because it's not much more than what a tile would be. You're just getting bigger pieces of it. Where it gets you is labor because you've got to have two or three tile setters out there to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. One guy's not going to be setting flat correctly one piece of tile very easily unless, unless they're a superhero or something. You know what I love? I love the new accents on walls. Yep. I think they're great. My only concern, and I'll I'll ask you, is it a passing fad like the panel that my parents put in their house in the 70s that we have from the 70s to the 90s? Is it something that's going to fall away? Yeah. Let's, as, and you've been around this business longer than I have, but I think everything has its own fad to it. But then it always comes back again in a kind of a remade kind of way. I will say, though, that styles change faster now than they have ever before because of how we consume things. You could sit there and go, oh, that's a 50s house, which kind of gives you maybe that mid-century or a 60s, which is a different mid-century or a 70s or an 80s. You have these styles, right, that, that fit in the decades. And now you're getting it where, and a lot of that's because of how we saw things. So if a designer designed out a custom home and they built it, that let's say that took a year for them to get through that process or even 16 months to get through that process where a photographer for a magazine would come out, they'd take the picture and six months later, it's in a magazine. And then it takes its long time to get through stores and retailers and designers. And it, it gets out there. Now a designer walks out of the design meeting where they just got pitched and it's already up on their Pinterest or Instagram or whatever else. And so now we're seeing a, when styles change, we're seeing it in Target in 16 months. Wow. Right. 
So I think things are going to change a lot quicker, just like how we've gone now from that, the tones of gray and white to all the colors that are in and all the textures and all the wall things like you were talking about from the wood to the wallpapers to that kind of stuff. So that that has made a, an abrupt shift over the last you know year or so. Yeah, no doubt. But that, that's something that I, I'm looking to do in my home and I enjoy it. And I, I like looking at it when I enter other people's homes and see what they've done. I got a question for what do you see in value in outdoor living spaces? Great question. I'm a big proponent of it. COVID, I think, did a 180 on that for us. People, in case this something like this ever happens again, people want to be able to get outside and hang out outside and enjoy themselves. So I see the pool has come back into play much more than it was. I see the outdoor kitchen in a lot of different properties, the TVs out there. If you can live out there for six months, why not have a space that you can use or nine months or whatever it might be, wherever you are, that you can use? So. The answer to that question is, I see a big change, and the pool guys are still very busy. So that's my read on it. I'm a big proponent of it. You know, there are appraisers out there that'll say, I'm not so sure it adds to the value of the home, but I typically disagree with that. I look at it very closely, and I, I do give value for a nice outdoor space. It makes a lot of sense to me. In my opinion, it's the cheapest addition you can do to your home if you have the climate to pull it off. And it's, there's so many things that are available now. To, to oh. So many things to, to enjoy it in the morning, in the nighttime, all the time. It's just, I agree with you. I agree with you. Patio space, yeah. decking, pool area, fire pits, right? Barbecue. All the fun stuff. All the fun stuff. All the fun stuff. Makes sense to me. It's- so if you had any advice for homeowners before we end up going out here, because we're going to run out of time here in a little bit, but what's your best advice that you can give for homeowners that are out there looking around? Because I know they're always, many times at least, scared of the appraisal process to go, oh, is the house even valued what I'm buying for it? And can I get that to the bank? So I guess the biggest, you know, listen, I could come here and I could talk to you about, give you what everybody the answer that everybody's going to give you. I like to be a little bit different. So sure, I'm not bypassing the main answers, okay, but I'm just throwing in some different things. And I alluded to it before. I think that storage space in a home is very important. I think that people, I think that the public wants to feel openness in their home, right? So whether it's widening a hallway of some sort or whether it's taking down the wall between the kitchen and the dining room and making that a big family area. These are the type of things. Adding an additional garage if you don't have the type of storage or adding more closet space. Don't be afraid to put some closet space in a room and take away from the room so much, but the storage and taking things, taking mess out of people's vision, I think is really important. So that's something that I like to talk to people about. Believe it or not, for me, and this is only my type of taste, but I think the circular drive is pretty cool, too, for people to have when they can put it in. I see so many homes that would benefit from a circular drive. The patio area, the outside living area is huge, like we already spoke about. Those are a couple of things that I would tell people. Got a sidebar question on that, and those are some great comments, by the way, because I couldn't agree with you more. If you not changing the square footage of the home, 
What would technically, and I, this is a, a broad brush, so I get to that. That's not a black and white answer probably either. But if you had to give up maybe a bedroom for storage, is it worth that? Or should you just, is the bedroom count still very important in an appraisal? Depends. If we have a 1,600 square foot, four bedroom home, those are really small rooms. Yes. You might want to, you might want to convert that into a three bedroom home and have a really nice primary bedroom for yourself with a walk-in closet and that type of thing. So square footage is what's king, all right? It's not so much the bedrooms. What do we got? Like we average two, two kids a household or something like that. So Something like that, need, yeah. You need three bedrooms. Four bedrooms is fine. Once you start getting into, into five or six, there's no real difference. All the difference yeah. that an appraiser is going to see is going to be in the size. So gotcha. I would never tell you to take away a bedroom to, just to add storage, but I would say maybe you shrink one of the bedrooms to give the other bedroom a little more storage area or something like that, or, or, or a nicer closet space. I don't know how yeah. some people or couples do it when they walk into their bedroom and there's one three by four closet in there. And <laughs> what are you supposed to do? You need to figure something out. And where are you going to? And that is that is all the 1950s, 60s, and 70s homes, right? How many of those did they build that were more just a spec type home that weren't by any means a custom home where they had a four foot closet in there? Yep, yep. So I think closet space is really. You might think I'm a, I'm a little nuts by bringing yeah. something like that up, but I think the closet space in helping home is really very overlooked. I should say. Absolutely. No, we actually took one of our bedrooms in my house and actually converted it over to the master closet because we had two, three foot closets in there. And there's no way I, I didn't know where my clothes were going to go because I needed about two more of those just for my wife's clothes, right. let alone my stuff. It just wasn't going to work. Yeah, At the same I mean, time, I took out the fireplace that was in there because it had a gas fireplace and I didn't need a big fireplace in my master. It's I, I like to sleep cold. I just didn't need it. So I took out the 1970s gas fireplace while I was at right. it because. I didn't need it. There you go. So that's how it goes. So John, we're going to be running out of time here. How do people track you down and how do people find out more information about what you got going? Cause man, you've got everything from YouTube to Facebook to everything else going on. Listen, I really appreciate that. So the, my biggest thing right now is social media. I, I've got a Facebook group where I talk to 45,000, mostly real estate agents, but there are some loan reps. There are some home buyers and home sellers on there. They come to us and they talk to us about the appraisal process. And I, I got to tell you, it's gone from zero to 45,000 in three years. And within the past six months, it went from 10,000 members to 45,000 members. So we really hit on a topic that the agents and realtors want to talk about. They want to learn more about what's going on in, my, in appraisers' heads. So since it's a national Facebook group, I have about 70 other appraisers on there that can talk about micro things. So if somebody from Missouri call, asks me a question, we can point them in the right direction to speak to that person in the St. Louis area, that type of thing. So it's not only me on there, but we've got a group of fantastic appraisers. And what I love about the group is, and, and this is what I think is helping the group so much, agents and appraisers don't have the best relationship, okay? The appraisers think that the agents are lazy, they think that the, the agents make too much and we're only making $500 on an appraisal. Why is this guy making $16,000 on his sale? And the agents are scared crap of the appraisers. Yep. They don't know whether they can talk to the appraiser, whether they can <laughs> give them comparable sales. They don't know whether they can talk about value. They have no idea. So 
I tried to bridge the gap. And what I did was I told the agents, you come on my group and you ask any question you want. There is no such thing as a silly question or a dumb question. Yep. But the big thing is, if anybody responds to that question, any appraiser on that group that responds in an egomaniacal way or a bullying type of way, they are gone. And all of a sudden, I've got, like I said, 75 appraisers on there that are compassionate, gentle, patient with the agent, and they're knowledgeable, and they're able to communicate. Once I Wonderful. find those appraisers, I, make the, I ask them to stick around and please help me with the group. And the agents love it. They love coming there and talking to us about what our process is, what we think about, because it makes them better. It makes them stronger. It grows their business. If they can figure out that part of the puzzle, it, it, it can blow up their business. And they're actually seeing it, and, and the numbers are showing it. So thank That's you for great. asking. I'm really excited about it. If anybody wants to join, ask the appraiser. It's on Facebook. You go in, you type in, ask the appraiser. There'll be other ones there. But you'll see me and you'll see 45,000 agents. And probably when this airs, there'll be 50,000 agents on there. We're growing by two, 300 people a day. It's, yep. uh, it's taken off and very excited about it. So I appreciate you offering me the opportunity to tell your listeners about it because they won't be disappointed if they're real estate agents. That's for sure. It's a great group. There's lots of great questions. I enjoy being part of it. And thank you for personally inviting me earlier on the last time we talked because it has been a fun and kind group to, to be a part of. Great. I appreciate it, Eric. I look forward to seeing you on there and I look forward to seeing you again. I'm going to also ask you to do an interview with me. So I, I look forward to seeing you again, my friend. You're a great person to know. I appreciate it. Thanks, brother. Hey, and if somebody wants to work with you in your New York area or down in Florida, where do they find you? You know what? They can find me there, but it's my website is copolis.com. C-O-P. Perfect. U-L-O-S. Pretty simple to find me. I'm in the Westchester area. If, if anybody needs my help, I love talking to agents. I help them all the time. So I can be a consultant for you, your consigliere, whatever you want to call me, I'm, I'm there for you. All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, brother. Thanks for coming on today, man. I really appreciate it. Can't wait till next time. Great, great speaking with you. Thank you, Heath. I'm Eric G, and you've been listening to Around the House. Somewhere unseen and undiscovered is a love song let's be lovers we're all over the radio take my hand i know where to go all over the radio with you hey it's eric g from around the house are you planning a decking or siding project this year if you are you've got to check out my friends at millboard millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand-molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.